Do you do anything for St. Patrick's Day? What's that? That is a day that a lot of Irish people celebrate, and they have green four-leaf clovers, and they say, kiss me, I'm Irish. Are, Are you Irish? No. What are you? Jewish. Would you wear a shirt that says, kiss me, I'm Jewish? No. Why not? I don't even have a shirt that says that. What if I gave you one? I'm not sure if I would wear it. Because I don't want, I don't want kid, kids to see that and say, kiss me. You don't want strangers to kiss you? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, yum's the word, haven't you heard? Yum's the word, it was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wetting the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. Hey everybody, welcome to Yum's the Word. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and at the top you heard my niece, Morgan. We've got a little bit more from Morgan later in the episode, but first, it's March Madness season, and I love college hoops. I am a huge Syracuse fan. I grew up watching UConn basketball, and when I went to Syracuse, I was definitely a Benedict Arnold in the family. My parents met at UConn. My sister played on the soccer team who went to the Final Four. She also played on the women's basketball team who went undefeated and won the national championship. So there's a lot of UConn love in my family, but Syracuse left the Big East conference a few years ago, and during the semifinals, they were playing their biggest rival, Georgetown. I was determined to see this game, so I went on Craigslist. I talked to some guy at the ATM who had like a Syracuse Athletics jacket on. Uh, I went to StubHub. All were proving to be useless. So that night, I went to Madison Square Garden, and I scalped a ticket. I am not the best negotiator, but I thought if I go around tip-off, I'll get a good deal on a ticket. So long story short, I managed to meet this guy who was super cute. He had the cutest little dimples. And uh, he's like, you need one? I was like, yeah. I said, I need to see this ticket. And I held it up, Meanwhile, the sun was going down. I held it up. I don't know what I was looking for, but I thought, let me look like I know what I'm looking for. So uh, I hand it back to him, and he's like, 150 bucks. I'm like, no way, dude. 100. And he's like, fine. So we walk into the garden. He's still hanging out with me and talking to me. I tell him about how my sister played at UConn. We're totally hanging out, having a good time. He's like, give me your number. I might be able to get you closer. So I get into my seat. It's way up in the nosebleeds he texts me how are your seats i'm like i'm so psyched to be in here he's like meet me here i meet him on a different concourse and i wound up sitting 10 rows behind the basket i was also five rows behind patrick ewing who was a georgetown superstar back in the day so it was a huge and magical night and i will never forget it i was psyched So anyway, in honor of March Madness, today's stories are all about madness. Crazy things, wackiness, 
the whole gamut. First up is Dawn Fraser. Dawn is not only a good friend of mine, she is an instructor with a moth. She's coached people like Common on their stories. What? Plus, she's been on TED, and she's the host of the storytelling series Barbershop Stories that takes place in a barbershop. This is her story of the unexpected question she was asked when working for the census. Job where I'm gonna be able to like go knocking door to door asking people, hey, what's up? You white, black, exotic, <laughs> single, nice house, you know? Just like, and just totally, totally just get away with it. So I'm really kind of excited about this job, right? And as I do, I'm submitting my license. And uh, this woman to my right hand side turns to me and she says, hey, what's up on your license? And I was like, oh, what? This little, this little like red dot? Oh, I mean, you know, I got it because I'm a donor. I mean, God forbid, somebody hits my car, and I'm in an accident, knock on wood. Somebody needs a kidney, somebody needs a leg, somebody needs an eyeball. Go ahead, take whatever, right? It's all good. She smiles, she laughs, she's like, oh, that's so noble of you. I like look at her, I was like, oh, thank you, nice so much. She's, she's, like, she's like, hey, I'm Eloise. She's like, hey, Eloise, my name is Dawn. And I look at her, and Eloise is probably about like late 70s, 80s, older African-American woman with these cute little eyes, and she smiles at me. And she's like, hey, you know, we should we should go do these like census stuff together. And I was like, cool. The little old lady's kind of like taking a liking to me, you know? I like old people. Cool. Like, let's, let's do this. It's all good. So she's like, all right, cool. So so we go into the room and we're getting oriented. And all around the room are all these people from my neighborhood. I see this one guy. I soon learn that his name is Dominique. Dominique is fine. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, Dominique is going to be my census mission. <laughs> but I still learned that the census mission is called NARFU, which is supposed to be like NRFU, uh, non-responder follow-up. Uh, but I found it very funny that like anything ending with an FU by the government was actually quite fitting. <laughs> so here we are. We have a mission from the government called NARFU. I got my mission to hit up the system that can do, and there we are, me and Eloise, going around and checking out all the places in Brooklyn. One of our first missions, to go to this place right in Fort Wayne. Beautiful, beautiful house, four stories high, and white woman answers the door. She's like, hi, we're from the census, can we get some information? She's like, yes, of course. Oh my God, this is so nice. So walk inside, four stories. Two people living there and a poodle. It was so nice. We're sitting by, just taking notes. Poodles are looking at our feet. Thank you so much for this information. It's so wonderful. And we go on our merry little way. We get to see people's houses and lot playhoods, and it was really kind of cool. Until we went out to the harder missions, including out in East New York. We go to this one spot. And it's clearly a dilapidated house. We don't know like, what's going on, but this one guy who's just kind of sitting outside is like looking at us. He's like, what's up? What's up? You want some help? We're like, oh yeah, we're, we're from the census. Can we uh, ask if you know anybody who lives here? He's like, yeah, I live here. 
<laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Well, you know, like, do you, you know, can we get your race? You know, do you have any wives? Any, uh, who do you live with? He's like, yeah, yeah. That's my wife. That's my wife over there, too. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, not my wife over there, too. And the lady turns, she's like, Negro, I ain't your wife. <laughs> Okay, you know what, let's just scratch this. We're just gonna go, okay? And Eloise turns to me, she's like laughing, she takes out the clipboard from the census. She's like, I think it's a crack house. <laughs> she literally like, wrote this on the song. We're not going in. <laughs> she turns to me, she's like, Tom, you don't, you don't do crack, do you? <laughs> it's like, Eloise, what the hell kind of a question is this? <laughs> I like to keep myself clean, I'm an athlete, blah, 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 you know. She's like, oh, that's, that's, that's what I thought. You, you look like you keep yourself in shape. I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, she's like, so remember when we were talking about like the, the, the that donor stuff? You know, what, what would you donate? I was like, well, I don't know, I mean like, like blood? I'm O positive, so you know, American Red Cross always be hitting me up and be like, hey, what do you need blood? She's like, no, 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 but like, you know, like, like the, the, the donor stuff, like the organ stuff. I was like, well, you know, what about it? She said, have you ever thought about like donating? I was like, you mean in case of not an accident? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> but what, what's up, Eloise? Like, you keep asking me these questions about my blood type, you know, if I'm healthy, <laughs> you know, like, what is it? what's the deal, yo? Like, you need a kidney or something? Yeah. And she kind of got really blank-faced <laughs> and said, yes. <laughs> I said, what? She said, yes, I, I, I kind of do. I, I, I go home every night and I connect myself to like this dialysis machine, you know, like, and you know, I need some help because they've been saying that like I just probably would be better off with a better kidney. And would you consider it? And my first thought was like, hell no! <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm gonna be down for like a homie, you know, but I'm not gonna give my kidney to some random woman I just met at the census. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. But what I did say was, I, I don't know. I guess I'll think about it. And she's like, okay. And she goes into her purse and she takes out this red pamphlet from the National Kidney Foundation and an invitation for donors and donees of kidneys for transplantation. Holy crap. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like okay, I'll I'll take I'll take this home and I'll think about it, I guess. So I jump on the A train, I head back home for green, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't really know this woman. I really don't. I mean, she kind of knows where I live. You know, I could be really just end up like in a tub of ice, <laughs> ice shit up, you know, and just blacked out, not knowing what the hell just happened. Oh no, this woman's out to get me, this crazy bitch. So I was like, oh no, no, okay, no, she's not a crazy bitch. She's, I shouldn't be calling older women bitches, you know. It's just, she, she had a different mission. Her mission was Operation. Good kidney. Yeah. <laughs> Much different than mine. So I looked it over and I jumped online, I was thinking about it, and everything that I saw online said that, if anything, my quality of life is going to remain the same. 
I could live with one kidney just as I could as easily with two. But I could significantly increase her livelihood of living in a life. And I thought about it. Like all my talk about being a donor, about being an activist, about being down for the cause. And I just sat there. Two days later, I had to give her an answer. Was I going to go to this orientation or not? And I remember we were meeting on Clinton Boulevard, right in Clinton Hill. And there was this beautiful, beautiful mansion that was born and that was put together in the 1800s. And Eloise approaches me. And we're about to take our last mission of the census. And she turns to me and she says, so what do you think? I'm like, Eloise, you know, like, I just, I don't think I can do it. I don't, I don't want to be cut up. I like my kidney, you know, I like my body, I'm so sorry. And I put her hand on my hand and we looked at this beautiful, beautiful mansion, knowing that we weren't going to go inside and knocking on anyone's door for that day in the census, but just kind of wondering what life must be like on the other side of those pearly gates. You can find Dawn on Twitter at Dawn J. Fraser. That's F-R-A-S-E-R. She was also recently featured on ABC's Nightline. I cannot wait to see that. All right. We are looking for your basketball ice cream puns. I'm talking things like college scoops, chubby tubby Smith. Just use the hashtag college scoops and we'll announce our favorites on social media. Look for those on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at yums the word show. Now, since St. Patrick's Day was the other day, I chatted with my six-year-old niece, Morgan, about the holiday, the green food, and of course, the long-standing tradition of drinking. So on St. Patrick's Day, a lot of times people celebrate and they'll eat all kinds of green kinds of food. Green bagels, green muffins, they'll drink green beer. Ew! Have you ever had beer? No. I don't want to drink it until I'm a grown-up. When is that going to be? Not for a long time. How old do you have to be to drink beer? 80? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they drink too much beer and then they don't feel good. Beep-boop. That's called being drunk. That's how they feel. Do you think you'll ever have so much beer that you'll get drunk and you don't feel good? No. No? I don't want to drink beer. You don't want to drink beer ever? What about wine? No. What about a margarita? (coughs) It's delicious. What about a mojito? What's a mojito? It's a very refreshing drink with rum and sugar and mint. Does that sound good? Uh -uh. What about a wine cooler? What's a wine cooler? It tastes sweet. It's kind of like a sweet, sweet drink with some carbonation. Sometimes. Morgan, would you ever want to try Zima? No. Why not? We'll see if Morgan changes her tune about drinking when she's older. And maybe by the time she's legal, Zima will be back on the market. 
I loved Zima back in the day. All right, next up is Jeff Zimmerman. Jeff is a comedian and storyteller. He's a Moth Slam winner. He's been in the Grand Slam, and he's been featured on This American Life. The night Jeff was on the show, he asked if his friend could bring her eight-year-old. She didn't end up making it, but you'll hear him talking about that at the top. This is his story about the crazy way he defended his sister back in high school. Hey, guys. Um, It was me that asked about my eight-year-old friend, by the way. Uh, My girlfriend and I look after an an eight-year-old girl sometimes, and she could totally handle this. She's... (laughs) She's from Australia, for one thing, just right there, and uh, she's dying to be allowed to say the C word. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had to tell her in a cab, like, no, 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 that doesn't, you can't come home from hanging out with Jeff and Erica saying that word. Like, not the first time we babysit you. Her parents say it all the time. She's just not allowed to. Um, and her mom took her to one of the Ramones' birthday parties a month ago, so she can, she could be here. She was just busy. Um, very cool kid. Um, so I was, it's like right after, maybe it's my sophomore year in college and I'm in my parents' house in my childhood bedroom, sitting in my bed. And I mean, I'm, there's no more Buffalo left to hunt, right? And people don't make things with their hands anymore. So all you really have to turn you into a man is that first breakup in college. And I'm just sitting there having it, feeling it hard. I'm sitting in my bed, crying in my hands. And like, you know, when you cry and you run out of cry, you just have to go like that because you want to you run a test pattern until the cry comes back. And I like I'm doing all the breakup stuff. I'm listening to the Smiths. Uh, I hate the Smiths, but I just thought you're supposed to listen to the Smiths when you go through a breakup. And um, then my little sister comes in and sits down next to me and she put her arm around me like this and kind of gave me a side hug and then turned and gave me a real hug, a big one. And she pulled some tissues out of her pocket and kind of started drying my tears. And we just sat there quiet for a second. And then she said, hey, Jeff, I just want you to know something, man. Bitch is going to come and bitch is going to go. <laughs> but the love we got between us, that shit is deep and real and lifelong, dog. <laughs> right? Like, I've loved you since the day I was born. I'm going to love you till after you are dead. And uh, that's just going how it's going to be. And I always wanted you to know, I secret, secretly hated that bitch. You say the word, I'm going to go around her house with a dog chain and show her what the fuck time it is. You just let me know. My little sister offered to chain whip my first ex-girlfriend ever when I, the, when I got dumped. I, I just went with the hug. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to just go hug right now. Um, we are very different people. We have the same parents. Uh, well, that's weird for me. Um, it's not like, you know, sometime in the late 70s, there was this knock on the door. And my mom opened it. There's a baby in a bassinet, and it says, here, take this child, love it, raise it. I can't handle this anymore. Signs, method man. You know, like, <laughs> like we, <laughs> we grew up in the same house, so I don't know what happened. But when I was in college like getting super into Sonic Youth and um, studying painting. She was out running the streets in Norfolk, Virginia. She's four years younger than me. When she gave me that little um, heartwarming speech, she was a sophomore in high school. 
She was invited to join all kinds of gangs in high school, and uh, we're, we're not joiners. Our family, she, freelan- she, she freelanced. And, um, you know, she would just go do shit just to see what it feel like, you know, just to be, just to feel bad coursing through her body. <laughs> she would always go out with these dudes that had, like, you know those guys in high school that always have this, like, whole, like a hologram of a mustache right here, and then, like, a great big starter jacket winter coat but it advertises a sports team that's nowhere near where you live at um we're in virginia and he always wore an oakland raiders coat and they would do stuff like break into rich people's houses and drink 40s in the living room and then just leave and leave the door open and leave the 40s on the on the table so when people came home they'd be like what kind of weird goldilocks like shit went down in here and I heard it rumored, she never confirmed or denied this, but I heard it rumored that one time they stole a bunch of handguns from somebody's house. We're from Virginia, and there's no noticeable gun laws whatsoever in Virginia. They stole a bunch of handguns and sold them on the street down by the Navy base just to feel it, you know? Like, and just to see like what it'd feel like to do a federal crime near a military installation, I think. Um, this other thing I heard was that one time, uh, like in the in the '90s, like in the projects near where we grew up, whenever the Wu Tang Clan was in town, they would always go to this one apartment and sell weed and like smoke weed. And white people were not allowed to go purchase or participate in any kind of marijuana activity there. And my sister said, "I see that as a challenge." <laughs> Went to a tanning bed. We darkened right up and. Uh, Went to a tanning bed for a week, put her hair up, and wore baggy clothes, and went and bought an ounce from Method Man when when he was playing in town, just to see what it felt like. That's my sister. That's not me, you know. And like, so the protective older brother thing is really confusing, right? Like, how are you supposed to vigorously protect your sister from her choices? Uh, I don't know, but you just kind of hope it's going to work out. And uh, I was studying to be an art teacher. And I had, I had to do my practicum to graduate, which meant teaching art classes in the high school my sister was enrolled at, where I go into high school at. It really felt like a victory lap there, going back and teaching at my high school. And um, I was excited about it at the time. But, I, you know, we talked about it ahead of time. And I was just like, Jess, look, I'm going to have to teach at your school. I'm obliged, you know, for college reasons to, like, report anything I see you up to. So, like, how we, we don't snitch, so how are we going to handle this? And we agreed that, like, we're going to stay on opposite sides of the building as much as possible so she could live her life and I could live mine. And then uh, one day I was walking down the hall, and I saw all these guys in starter jackets and hoodies, like, just doing the classic rough up a freshman, like shove a kid into a locker over and over again. Like, why are you falling down? Why are you falling down? Get up. Why are you falling down? And I mean, I'm on stage talking about my feelings right now. So, you know, that happened to me a lot. Right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, now the worm has turned. I get to break it up, you know? So it's like, I break it up. Go on, get out of here. Get out of here. Get to class. Get to class. Get to class. And uh, I saw her boyfriend in the, in the mix. And I was like, you out of here. And uh, he leaves and kind of smirks. And the kid is sitting there kind of sniffling, and they've got a hoodie on. And I, and I push the hoodie back and say, you know, are you okay? Let me see your face. Are you all right? It was my sister. So my sister's boyfriend and her friends were just, like, roughing her up for a little fun before lunch. And immediately I'm just like, Whoosh. 
like just a creature of like white hot rage, right? And she's like, her jaw is really set and her eyes are all wet. And I know this face because I've made her make it a million times, right? Like, she's fucking fine. Thank you very much. Like, and, and I was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I just got to go. And then leaves. And um, I don't know what to do. Like, as an educator, I have a, an obligation to find this kid and force him to, to you know, meet consequences. And I, I want to do that. I mean, all I really want to do is just find him, sit him down have a little conversation with him about his behavior and then just cover him with gas and set him on fire. <laughs> or like tie him to my bumper and do laps around the school and like blast Slayer out of the windows or something, you know? And I, like all day I'm just consumed with like, what am I gonna do when I find this kid? And um, it was very difficult to teach that day. Uh, I gave a lot of film strips in class and I just thought a lot about how how many different cool ways could I torture this kid when I find him? But the thing about an elaborate re revenge fantasy is that it totally takes up all the brain space for a, a real plan for what you might do when you run into the actual person that's still in the building, which is what happened when I went to the bathroom. I go in the bathroom during my planning bell, and that stupid kid is standing there. He's got his foot up on this pipe, and he's looking out the window, and he's got this dreamy smile on his face. And like he's just letting the breeze ruffle his mullet off of his shoulders a little bit. <laughs> and like what kind of a kid, this idiot skips class to just hang out in the bathroom. That's, uh, anyway, like just that enrages me. Plus he was beating up my sister and I just went up to him and I spun around by his shoulders and I grabbed him and I said, hey man, I saw you roughing up my sister in the hallway. And then I just ran out of plan because like, when you're thinking about like dipping somebody's face into the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> you're not like really figuring out what you're really going to do. And he, I, like, I'm maintaining eye contact and I've got him, and he's just like looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he starts wiggling, and I can feel the moment fading, and I'm, I'm just like, I gotta do something. It's going, I don't know what to do. Oh, Jesus, what do I do? So, the, just the first thing that popped into my head, I just did it. I just, you gotta commit, you know? So, I, I pulled him in I kissed him on the mouth <laughs> just like long and deep just held him and just got into it I could feel his mustache under under my lip I don't know how y'all do that it's gross and um and he the thing is is he's just like like limp he's completely limp both of our eyes are wide open. We're maintaining contact the whole time. Like they're like a tractor beam, you know? And, and he's, he's not kissing back, but he's also not pulling away. He's completely lifeless. And the whole time, I'm just thinking, like, dominate and intimidate. Like, and in my eyes, it's just like, you've opened a doorway to God knows what, but we're going through it together, buddy. Like, this is just, this is what you do. You cross one of us, you cross all of us. And that's how it goes. And, and... And then I just like came to my senses and pushed him away. And I was just like, oh, God. Uh, uh, well, I think we're done here. Um, I look forward to seeing you around the house. I got to go. And I left the bathroom and just collapsed in the hallway because I've just mouth raped a student during my first week as a teacher. That's got to be bad for your career. So I limp through the day, you know, and I get home. And I'm in my bedroom, and I'm just rocking myself and listening to Batman, the animated series on TV. That's how I cope. And my sister comes in, she like kicks the door in and says, Jeff, what have you done? What have you done? 
they were meant to smoke some blunts by the train tracks, and he just quit. He just broke up with her, and he's like, I got to go. None of it. I want none of this. I got to go. It was perfect. He's too homophobic to tell his friends about it, and, and nobody would have believed him if he had told the principal. So like, he was just like, I got to go. I'm out. He probably hopped a freight train right then and just went to Omaha and opened the tire dealership or something, just started over. She's like, what, what have you done? And I said, Jess, bitch is going to come and bitch is going to go. But that love we got is deep and it's lifelong, baby, and I'm not lying. It's usually where I end this, but um, she got married two years ago to a Navy SEAL. And I, I did an edited version of this story as a toast at their wedding. And uh, I was just like, Jess, my kissing days are over. Like, this guy fucks up. You figure it out. <laughs> All right. Thanks. That was Jeff Zimmerman. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Jeff, S-I-M-M-E-R-M-O-N. And he's the host of the live storytelling slash stand-up slash burlesque series called And I'm Not Lying. That show is the second Friday of every month here in New York City at UCB East. Okay, so if you've been enjoying the podcast, and we really hope you have, I've been hearing some great feedback recently, we would love to hear from you. Please give us a quick review on iTunes. It'll help boost our ratings. And be sure to share the show with your friends. It's usually like, you know, 25 minutes, you're in, you're out, two stories, boom. I am so psyched for our next show. It is March 30th, which is only like a week and a half away. And we've got the wonderful and talented Mara Wilson, who you may know from Matilda. And we've got Colin Willem, John Asante, and Jen Waring. They're all really talented and really, really funny. And that particular night is a benefit for a wonderful nonprofit called She's the First. You can get tickets and details at yumsthewordshow.com. We're going to have some other fun, special things happening that night. Now, don't forget to tweet us your ice cream basketball pun at Yum's The Word Show and go orange! Finally, I want to wish my dear, dear mom a very happy birthday. I love you, mom. Thank you so much for all of your love and support and for getting me hooked on ice cream at such a young age. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton, who wrote some of the music. And the theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Special thanks to Vince Fairchild, Michael Cedar, Danny Ortiz, Megan Deneen, and of course, Morgan. I'm Robin Gelfenbein. Thanks for listening. Hope you get a piece. Go Orange! And until next time... He had the cutest little dimples. Yum's the word.